Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Okay, so today on the podcast, uh, I have another interesting guest who whose company I always enjoy, and every time I see him, it's been in a different country, so we're on a pretty good run between Holland, South Korea, and the UK would be the last time. So first of all, who do I have the pleasure of talking to today? Uh, hi, Simon. It's Nick Aiton here. Awesome. And look, for those who don't know you, what's your background? And also in the light of your kind of have almost, I don't know if reinvented yourself, but you're doing new things from the last time we chatted. I think, uh, isn't it, isn't it, um, you know, the business as usual to have to reinvent yourself all the time, isn't it? So, <laughs> so my, my background is um, technology, computer science in the 70s. Uh, I spent 25 years in technology outsourcing, working for some big brands. And the last eight or, or, or so years, and where you and I bumped into each other, of course, is um, it's been around the blockchain and cryptocurrency world, um, which uh, has led us to far-flung countries, hasn't it? And uh, mm -hmm. it's, been, uh, it's been a wild ride, let's say that. Ah, <laughs> oh, look, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think you could almost start to write a history of the, well, look, you know, it's, it's a ripple, isn't it? Rise, fall, rise. Um, since since we last chatted in South Korea in Pyeongchang, um, I know that you have focused a lot on a new area. So do you want to maybe talk about uh, how you evolved, what you're doing, and what you're up to now? Well, that's uh, it's there's, that's an interesting question, really, because the the world of um, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and blockchain was all around the liberalization of things, the decentralization of things. So you remove the central authority. So, so you encourage, you know, founders and new business people to use this technology to create an entirely new and different uh, business operating models, which are decentralized and they bring, they bring different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And then, and then of course, you know, the, 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 the scale of the blockchain movement and the scale of cryptocurrencies, and now we've got a Bitcoin sort of bull run, if you like, yep. um, means that there's an awful lot of people getting behind it. But um, things actually evolve quite quickly. And as, as you know, I, um, my, one of my passions is, is, is television and writing. And uh, I was fortunate enough to use the, the crypto revolution, if you like, as a means of raising some capital to, to make a TV series. Yep. And the TV series is about um, artificial intelligence, actually, more than it is blockchain. And, and that introduced me into the, the, the world of uh, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, the world of espionage and the world of, you know, government spying on each other. And, you know, can you can you new, use this new technology that's on the horizon for good and for bad? So that research sort of carries you along as you're as you're writing the, the, the various episodes. And I just um, suddenly found that, you know, when you read about quantum computing, quantum mechanics, quantum information sciences, it's very profound, Simon. And um, for me, I think it's it was too interesting to, to ignore. And it has significant implications for humanity's next stage in their development, our next iteration of civilization. And mm -hmm. as you deep, dig deeper and deeper and deeper into quantum, it consumes you. And But the only caveat I would say, of course, is that you have to, in a sense, forget what you already know. 
um, about computing and about problem solving and about how the the world around us or or how we think the world around us uh, works, because in a quantum world it uh, it's entirely different. And you know we can we can dig into some of that in a in the next few minutes. Yeah. So look, I mean, uh, definitely, I hear you. I mean, and, and quantum can be very exciting because you know at, at a high level, my understanding is is that you 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 can set it out of the trap and it can be solving many it can be trying many ways to solve the same thing at the same time and then therefore you know it's it's not it's not a, a linear process it's 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 a it's a parallel one so you had mentioned that potentially uh this it, it could really um help solve some of humanity's hard problems so i guess for those that that don't even haven't even thought of it in that way uh what's some examples of that well, if you you're absolutely right, Simon, and this is massive parallel computing. It's brute force computation, and and to try and put some things into perspective, here's here's some fundamentals for your for your listeners to think mm -hmm. about. If you if you think about when we were at school and we did integer factorization, so if you try and find the factors of fifteen, of course everyone would know it's three and five. Yeah. You know. And and but increasingly, as you in, make these numbers larger, which is the fundamental defense that encryption uses, actually, and in, in, uh, to to present, you know, to defend us against the dark arts, if you like. But it's it's these long strings of numbers that whether it's uh, an address or a private key or a public key, uh, whether it's an encrypted uh, set of information, the only defense it is 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 the the slowness or inability of classical computers to factorize or find the integers of very very large numbers mm -hmm. and when you peel back the layers that's that's a little bit disconcerting because you know i was always led to believe in in computing that encryption was pretty secure and was never going to be never going to be broken and if you look at asymmetric cryptography, it means, Simon, I could send you a message down one path and send the key down another path that only you could open and receive and, and read that message. Yeah. But with, with quantum computing, of course, it's very, very good at computation, at finding these integers in 300, 600 string, strings of numbers that would take a classical computer literally hundreds of millions of years. Um, because, as you say, they process yeah. parallel, but a, a, a quantum, quantum computer can do it in, in you know, 150, 200 seconds, and and that's very disconcerting. And um, so that's that's really the baseline of why quantum is so profound, because it uh, it means we can do things that uh, we can't do with classical computers. So so there's a, there's a few examples really. If you if you look at the big strides we've been making with uh, understanding DNA and and genomes in particular, and I I wasn't aware until you dig into this that there are twenty five thousand genome sequences that link to your your DNA, and mm -hmm. to be to be able to understand these, these are the, the 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 pathways, if you like, that give us clues into solving some of humanity's most pernicious uh, diseases, Alzheimer's, for example, dementia, uh, various cancers. There's a whole string of uh, diseases and that we, we, we literally can't find the uh, solutions to because the, the chemical compounds, the chemical compositions, the equations and the computational overhead to, to find out, you know, for example, the flat protein, 
you have to keep folding the flat protein yeah. and you know alzheimer's and 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 the sheer brute force of the job at hand can't be done with classical computers and um so quantum is 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 the new horizon and the the challenge of course with this technology it, it is new it's not entirely stable and we can get into reasons why that isn't um but it promises so much um so to live longer longevity is always the you know the interesting one isn't it that um you know if if you re if you read various people that say you know aging is actually a disease there's yeah. no fundamental reason why you should die um <laughs> and then of course you know you 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 look at some of the other things that um needs massive computation and and for example climate change you know these these climate models are significant financial models you know to to find out you know pathways in in financial trading financial activity the size and scale of the computational challenge is so significant that it's beyond the reach of classical computers. And that's why there is so much excitement about making sure these quantum machines become more and more stable and uh, they promise so much. Yeah, look, I mean, and and, and that's definitely the, uh, the the exciting side of it. Um, and and so 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 just just to get your take on it, people say that that with this potentially it, it, it renders uh, pointless and easy to break all the passwords that we have. So is that alarmist? Is that realistic? Or, or on what time scale it, is that a thing? Well, it's it's interesting because you hear you know you've got the big the big players Microsoft and Google and uh, IBM and uh, Honeywell. They're all they're all building quantum machines. And, and let's and let's just baseline this again as well, because we're talking about quantum information sciences, of which computation or the com quantum computer is one very narrow chunk. Within that, we have quantum communications, quantum sensing, which is all around optics and photonics, and we have quantum materials. These are sort of shape shifting and nanomaterials that offer completely different dynamics to, you know, making things. So quantum information science is, is a is a vast spectrum. And what we're talking about here is controlling these little things called uh, electrons and protons. And these little things travel at 160,000 miles an hour. And, you know, to get to get them to play ball, which is the secret of quantum computing, which unlocks this this massive computing power. Um, you It's all about stability. You've got to get them in into a coherent state. So they work together that gives you this this this, this multi-dimensional parallel computational uh, capability. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it, I think back to the mainframe days and, um, you know, when you're building out a new technology stack, you need you need your hardware, you need your operating systems, you need your language compilers and you need a, a stack from which you can build, you know, customer facing applications. Uh, we went through it with personal computers. We went through it with the internet, and now here we are with, with quantum computing, where we have the early, the early players, the manufacturers, who are trying to build these machines, which are just amazing-looking machines. They, they, they almost look alien-like. <laughs> but there's lots of different pathways, Simon. There's lots of different approaches, whether it's trapped iron or superconducting materials. There's uh, diamond and carbon-based. And it's and it's all about these these protons and photons that these different approaches throw off, 
And it's how do you control them to get into this computational state where they are capable of doing all this vast computation? So we are, you know, to answer the question, how far away? Now, Google will always say that they've reached quantum supremacy. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that's the case, to be honest. It was a very narrow test. And sure, it, it did prove something. The, 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 back, the, the, the backdrop to this is there's a, there is a lot of scaremongering. They're saying that RSA encryption and elliptic curve encryption will be, will be busted very soon. Uh, there are people out there that say that quantum computing is, is a decade or more away. I guess I'm from the, the camp because I'm quite close to a lot of quantum projects, founders, spin out some universities, um, lots of different startups in my in my day to day activities. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's I think it's within five years. I think it's three to five years where the magic number of number of qubits, which is, as you know, this is the 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 the, the indication of this 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 computing capability. Once the number of computed compute qubits get to 150, 200, all of a sudden, the the opportunity to start taking on these big hard problems becomes real. And at that point, any encryption that you have today is um, is going to struggle. But there is another branch, of course, which is post quantum uh, cryptography, which are are cryptographic uh, approaches, which even with a quantum computer. Uh, would 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 make things more secure. Now, of course, the question people ask is, how would you know? Unless you you have a quantum computer that's so massively powerful, how would you know these post quantum things work? And and the answer, of course, is mathematics. And there there are a number of different encryption approaches, including McLeish, which is interesting, which does enable governments and large organisations and you know, military to think about how they would defend against this this perceived quantum threat. So it's uh, I, I think it's a lot closer than than people think. And of course, government are never going to really tell you because they see quantum as the next frontier of espionage. So you can you know eavesdrop and listen in and and yeah. um, you know find out other people's secrets. So it is a race going on between China. Uh, and, and Russia and America and you know the Five Eyes, which is the you know the the the, the Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, and England, which is the the Five Eyes um, intelligence uh, ring. And um, if you think also what America are doing in particular, they they tend to black box uh, new technologies to 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 stop them falling into commercial hands. So there's a lot of that going on where we are making great progress in quantum but they're not seeing the light of day commercially because governments are are moving in because they see this as a massive a massive opportunity to 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 get the strategic advantage on on other countries so it's yeah, there's yeah. a lot there's a lot in here and when you unpick it and you you see what's going on and the money being spent the money is increasing exponentially the the budgets are increasing and you know even even from there's a guy called Jeremy O'Brien um, who used to run uh, physics at Bristol University, and he started a business called Psi, PSI, which is the 23rd letter of the Greek alphabet. But it's also the the symbol for wave, for wave symbol in quantum mechanics. And uh, Jeremy's already raised over two billion, um, and he's technically a startup um, to 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 work on hardware that can help stabilize these. 
these uh, subatomic particles that have all this potential. Yeah, look, it's exciting. It's a bit scary as well, because the last people, if you look at Mr. Oppenheimer in 1946, you know, July 46 uh, at Los Alamos, when they started um, to split uranium and plutonium, and of course, you're unleashing enormous power. And and these are the parallels that when you when you start thinking about um, um, superconductors, for example, we put them in these cryostats. So you you when you strip off all the casing of a quantum computer, you see all this this lovely gold and brass looking tubes and stuff. But ultimately, that's part of the cooling mechanism because these protons and electrons they slow down when you get them near absolute zero, which is minus four hundred thirty seven degrees Fahrenheit. So so at that point, they start slowing down to a point where you can start you know doing things with them. But this whole quantum computing is is so massively complicated because it goes back to the you know schrodinger's cat days really of of is the cat dead or alive well you but you can't mm -hmm. see inside the box because you disturb the experiment and that's the nature of quantum you 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 never know for sure because these subatomic particles are are very difficult to control and just imagine the immense um uh, difficulty in programming uh, a quantum computer you you have to create a new range of, of 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 hardware you need classical computers to to help sit alongside to break the problems down and then you've got to program these things which are enormously complex and but that's where we're in the middle of right now and we are making significant ground and let's face it we have some of the brightest and cleverest people on the planet working on it full time and i think we'll get there quite quickly yeah and i guess everything happens so much faster these days as well that you know as an insight is gained uh, everyone else looks at it and works out what it means and what the consequences of it are um so so for you um over the last you know lockdown period uh ha has this affected the way you work and going forwards as we begin to imagine what things would be like you know post pandemic uh is it going to change the way you work is does it all become remote working or or, or how do things play out for you going forwards well it, it's 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 interesting of course we have been impacted and and without um you know being overly optimistic we we we've pivoted and and done reasonably well my my core business which is uh, which is chain starter and our function at that business is to work with founders and entrepreneurs who are looking to raise capital. So we help package up the proposition and we help introduce them to sources of funds. Mm -hmm. In the past few years, as you know, we've been heavily immersed into the family office space. Yeah. But uh, even so, we, we managed to get our Monaco event going uh, a few months ago before, before the serious second lockdown. Um, we do a lot of stuff in the Middle East, in Dubai, and I've been back and forth to Dubai and 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 whilst you don't mind things shoved up your hooter to get tested uh it's 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 open for business and the uae is by and large open i mean saudi's still closed and abu dhabi's still closed but dubai is very much open so so we have been able to take our clients over and travel um and we have been able to to interact with family offices who in the middle east in particular are deploying a lot of capital now the you know where they're spending their capital has changed again but 
we're seeing that the European families and the American families have um, slowed down their, their their deployment of capital, and a number of reasons for that. Obviously, we've got Brexit. We have we had the presidential elections. We've had you know a, 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 a range of different uncertain uh, mm -hmm. activities this year. But by and large, what we're seeing is a diversion of capital um, away from the traditional asset classes in you know which are you know property and real estate and and what have you towards um a whole range of different technology related um sectors you know agritech edtech medical wellness anything to do with you know feeding the people water climate is a big thing renewable energy you know the the families and the the sovereign funds that we deal with have, have all piled in so there's a lot of deal flow there's less activity at the bottom end, at the seed and the at the early stage activity, uh, and most of the big tech funds, of course, um, are focusing on their existing investments. Given given the COVID, uh, the dynamics of COVID, and you know how that's affected their portfolio. So, but the families are are deploying capital. Their ticket sizes are tends tends to be quite decent as well, you know, and. But by and large, we, we don't do much with the tech funds at the moment because, you know, they're recovering and thinking about what they do next. But mm -hmm. the families are very, very busy. So we've done OK. We, you know, we live on Zoom, don't we, these days? And we have our first two or three conversations. We we matchmake and have conversations with, with the families. Uh, and then we get on a plane when we know it's getting serious and, you know, we meet face to face because in that region, of course, they... They like to consummate the deal by looking in your eyes and pressing the flesh, um, yeah. as, as as in Asia. That's the thing. Uh, I think the Europeans and the Americans may be far happier to do a deal over Zoom, but uh, the Middle East and Asia, no, they they want to meet you. So yeah, it has it has a, a impacted assignment, but um, you know we we you know we 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 don't just do you know blockchain and cryptocurrency projects. We do everything now, and. Um, you know, we've we we will work with pretty much any decent founding team that have have um, a proposition that we think we can place. And you know, we always have mandates. We always have uh, people with money asking us to 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 find great projects in in very specific areas. So uh, mm -hmm. so it's all good. Yeah, at the moment. And and so I, from what you're saying, a little is in theory the the Zoom helps to filter out the tire kickers a little. But then uh, it's still going to need uh, boots on the ground to 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 progress it, which is as it was. Um, in with with some of the um, the economists and people we've been talking to, they're talking about seeing uh, an increase in the need for sustainability and uh, shared values and ethics between companies rolling out products and consumers and clients who who like to who who want to feel that it matches uh you know their views on on sustainability i guess with b corps and patagonia the the feeling is is that you may have uh more of a f like it won't be enough to beat other people on price you need to also be aligned on values uh is that something that is part of the conversations that you're hearing or seeing or is that still uh, a minority view well the, again there's quite a lot in there simon and let's unpick sure. a bit of that because i've been i've got a very large client which is um uh, a US, uh, a Texan, uh, and it's in the consumer retail space. And of course, the the argument has always been that what COVID has done is found 
the, the cracks and the chasms in industry models that were already broken. It's become an accelerator. So if you look at travel and tourism, if you look at you know consumer retail in particular, something like 40% of malls in the US are going, going bust or are already mm. bankrupt. And, and you mentioned a couple of interesting areas here. One is the conscious capitalism. So as a consequence of COVID, I think families and, and, and people have re-evaluated their priorities, um, what's important to them, placing you know, essential things, uh, health and safety, wellness, more, more towards the top of the list. And they've, and they've parked a lot of the other things that they would see as um, you know, their, their norms. They, they're just playing a waiting game in a sense. But the ramifications of of consumer behaviour is is significant. And the question I, I wrote a paper about it recently. And the question people are asking is, is it going to be permanent? And 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 maybe some of these um, behaviours are going to be permanent. And maybe some of them, you know, will will go back to whatever the new norm is. But ultimately, the proposition, if you go into a shopping mall, if you go into uh, a shopping centre, they're they're all very similar. And none of them are really engineered for contactless commerce. None of them are really engineered for click and collect and giving you the option to return or or get home delivery. They're they're trying to re-engineer as a consequence of COVID to catch up. But they neither have the footfall of people now or the capital available to 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 re-engineer it, and um, so so a lot of these big shopping malls and shopping centres uh, are gone, and yeah. um, so that plays into a real estate play. Of course, is you know what can you do with a distressed real estate, and if you think about what Amazon are doing, now Amazon is in, in is a bit like a cardo in a sense. A cardo is now one of the world's most successful grocers. But actually, they're classed as a technology and a delivery company, when Amazon, of course, is the world's biggest AI company, which just happens to be brilliant at retail, where they can sell you one of 600 million products and deliver it to you the next day. But what they're doing in their business model is they're coming downstream. They're buying the the old JCPenney um, locations. They're turning them into regional fulfillment centers. Yeah. And of course, with their proposition with Alexa, for example, going into the household, and linking Amazon Prime with Amazon Go and Whole Foods, what they're trying to do is create a whole set of rewards and incentive systems to capture the discretionary spend from the household. So, so that is a, a, a massive shift. And you know, my client is also trying to do the, a similar thing, where the the essence of their proposition is to is to capture the transaction, if you like, before it happens you know, to help the household, to help the person who needs a bit of support to 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 get the information to encourage them to spend in a in a, in a certain area and therefore be wedded to to that proposition. So so it's it's really interesting. You know, nearly every industry has had to pivot and change its operating model as a consequence of of a changing landscape where your business model has either gone away completely um, or the changing dynamics of, of of the consumer, the household. And ultimately, that's the thing that um, has been massively impacted by, by this pandemic. And, you know, it provides an opportunity. But if you don't, if you don't understand what that really means, then um, it's, it's very difficult to remodel your business to, um, 
to survive yeah. and, and you will probably will go out of business yeah like i mean and someone else will adapt faster and and eat your dinner so and and like you say i mean you know we're, we're all aware of how we're living so therefore you, you map that towards what they're offering and if what they're offering doesn't match the way that we live now and the way we wish to live then we're you know like we'll pivot i mean like you know amazon's put on 10 billion worth of value because they've worked out how to get stuff out to people people still want to buy and shop and do things they just like you say don't necessarily want to be in a shopping mall uh, for good reason you know uh, but so, look at the mix though i mean the shopping malls are all very the same but if you think about what should be in a shopping mall shopping malls don't need to be so big um and there's been a real shift to community and i would i would argue that in every country you know there are there are families and people struggling and we are starting to see that a sense of rebuilding or a sense of community spirit emerging again Mm -hmm. So isn't the nature of consumer retail it should be community it should be local supply chain local suppliers and it should whilst being technology enabled to give people that confidence it's more about local and it's more about being niche and it's more about having the things available that people really want so yes your food and beverage and your entertainment and your apparel but what about having a dentist or a gym or a wellness yeah. Or, or somebody can help you with medical conditions or anxiety. You know, should this be part of the modern mix of a new retail-based consumer retail-based proposition? And I would argue probably it should. You know, why, why, why should we have the same propositions that we've we've uh, started to get a bit bored with over the last ten or twenty years? Every shopping mall looks the same, and yeah. uh, you know, they're soulless places. But I think the shift to community is. It's massive. And um, I think we're going to see a lot more savvy investing around, you know, local artisan, shorter supply chain, localized fulfillment, because people don't want to travel so far. They may want to stick closer to home and they feel that they, they can protect themselves by doing that. So some fundamental shifts, I think, going on. Yeah. Oh, look, I think so. And, and like you say, I mean, if you look at craft beer, slow food, you know, craft whiskey, craft gin, it's exactly. it's about, you know, the, the trends are out there. It's just about putting them together uh, in a way that is, is accessible. So I think that makes sense. Um, so how do you stay up to date and how do you remain uh, informed about what's going on? What, what's the way that you, you, you remain relevant and up to date? Well, that's 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 a really good question. I, I think from from a number of angles, I've always been an avid reader, um, and I've always been uh, somebody who thinks uh, deeply about the application of technology that's here and technology that's on the horizon, and the application of that uh, in terms of business and and lifestyle and how it will impact. And and as I do more writing and, and more script writing in particular, my research, you know, sort of probes a bit deeper than it used to so I, I i you know the reading that i do is is much much more diverse than it's ever been and um so that's what on the one hand the the other thing i'm quite fortunate is when you talk to heads of sovereign funds and heads of families investments these people are very well informed as well and they will talk about the things that interest them and quite often the things that interest them is founded on a good base of evidence and data so they are specifically hunting in certain regions and territories but if you you also think about the consequence of this pandemic is that nearly every country was caught with its trousers down 
it re suddenly realized that it was wasn't self-sufficient in certain areas whether it's energy or food or or ppe or whatever it they suddenly realized that they were dependent on other nations and, and other people yeah so there's actually been quite a big shift in nationalism so the Middle East and Asia in particular, they are investing in rebuilding industries or or um, acquiring businesses that give them that that uh, reach and that localized access to the essential products and services they need. So so we are seeing quite a lot of, you know, we could argue, Simon, couldn't we, that, you know, has has this globalization thing, has humanity gone too mad with globalization? There is too much mm -hmm. travel too much intermingling, too much of this going on, which has caused this pandemic and, and, and will cause others. We could argue that there's been too much of it, but at the same time, are we going to see a return to sort of nationalism? Not completely, but I think a lot of these families who are often the, the, the top table of countries, I, I do think countries and families, so public and private capitals working intelligently together to start closing some of the gaps. So the Middle East, you know, are focusing on water. They want to create an agricultural industry. They want to manufacture things, and it's all around self-sufficiency because they know, you know, the oil, the oil business at some point is is going to dwindle, and they they need a replacement. So I, you know, I get I get good intel from, you know, the families and the sovereign funds and and the people we speak to, and then from the projects. You know, the founders are trying to find new ways to leverage a new business model or new technology. And I'm sort of privileged and fortunate in a sense to be in the middle of that. So yeah, um, you've just got to listen. And, um, you know, when someone, someone mentions things, I've got another client, for example, that is the world leader on what's called real-time 3D rendering. And what does that mean? Well, that okay. means that if you... If you remember Toy Story, Pixar is now 20 years, 25 years old. And when Toy Story came out, it was a revolution. But to render, in other words, to computer process one second of, of animation is about 10 hours. If yeah. you want to process that today, obviously with 4K and 8K, the rendering overhead is significant. But you can do it in real time. And, and therefore, if you look at series like the mandalorian which is disney's big hope at the moment mm -hmm. uh, you this technology uses graphics processing units and you can render hours and hours and hours of of, of film uh, animation and special effects in real time that removes post-production reduces the cost of your making your movie by 40 percent and it also means you don't have to have 300 people on set you know, you can you can have twenty people on set. You can practice social distancing, and you know that's that that tends to be the future. But if you think about what that also means, is maybe there's no live or still photography anymore. You can create three D images of any product, any service, any car, uh, even trees and forests that look real, and they're computer generated. And you can insert a product or a service in there, which again minimizes the the need to stick uh, a film crew on, a, on an airplane and, and shoot a new product launch in Timbuktu. So there are significant uh, things going on which um, sort of playing to the, 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 the themes that we're seeing, which is, yeah. you know, globalization's being challenged, it's being halted a bit, will it go back? Well, I'm sure it will. But it's also revealed, hasn't it, the biggest hole there is, which is um, 
it's capitalism. You know, capitalism by default uh, encourages people. It's a race to the finish line to consume as much natural resources as possible for profit. Yeah, and to just deliver shareholder return. So, like and, you say, yeah, the, and, the, the, the metrics are wrong. And humanity is not very, very good at working together uh, to solve these big problems. You know, if personal interest gets in the way and greed and, and all those other human emotions. So, yeah, so I think it's it's all of this has, has shown a few cracks appearing. And then, of course, we don't talk too much about politics. But if you think about, you know, the two-party political system, which is in the West primarily, it's fundamentally failing. And... It, it throws up the worst of two candidates and it does it time and again in America, in England, in Germany and what have you, although, you know, it's a coalition in Germany. But but whereas a benevolent dictatorship, of course, in the Middle East, they can get things done. And you can argue the good, bad and indifferent through Western eyeballs, but they get things done. They have a 10 year plan. They have a 20 year plan and things happen and their citizens are looked after. So, you know, there are some fundamentals, aren't there? Yeah. Uh, that, are, that are being challenged out of this and i and i i just hope this new young generation of ours are, are up to the job because i think our generation you know is uh has created enough problems we need we need some fixing going on now <laughs> look yeah I, I i hear you and i think like you're saying that it's going forward it's 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 a a curated consideration about what requires travel and what doesn't uh, we just reviewed mike mike bernier's lee's book how bad are bananas where he looks at the carbon footprint of everything from bananas and emails up to flying and it doesn't mean that you won't do some of these things but if you have more of a, a balanced understanding of the impact of what you're doing it may make you think it through and and but equally like you say while also questioning how we do things and are our political systems fit for purpose and and very much like you say um if you have 74 million people voting for someone because they're against stuff that's not necessarily uh delivering us good solutions um so look it's it's been very good to talk to you very interesting um how do people find out more about what you do and your work and what you guys are currently up to well we're we're pretty easy to find, um, so you can you can search Nick Aiton and uh, you know one way or another pathways will 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 find me. <laughs> Our core business is uh, Chainstarter, so Chainstarter.org. Uh, that's the business where if you're if you're a funder or you're a founder and you're looking to raise capital, and we can help you with that. And we we do our family office activities through there um th there's not much there's not much else really to i'm a, I'm a good open networker i i do a lot of speaking still i've actually increasingly been chairing quite a lot of quantum events and i've been more involved in the british quantum program which is uh, very interesting and um so yeah just just um you know fight approach me linkedin any social media platform uh, I'm always up for conversation and uh, to exchange some views and uh, opinions. And um, yeah, that's how you find me. Awesome. So thanks very much for your time. Brilliant, Simon. And we, uh, you know, next time we uh, we meet each other, I mean, goodness knows which country we would be in then. <laughs> yeah, somewhere on the beach, hopefully. <laughs> it's brilliant. Thank you very much, Simon. Great to talk. We hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.